you have your Bibles with you, uh, please turn to Ecclesiastes 5. We're going to be uh, studying those same verses that were just read out, uh, verses 1 to 7. And um, this is actually the third message that we've done from Ecclesiastes. Uh, We've covered already chapters 1 through 4. And you could say that chapters 1 through 4 are a reflection on meaning in life. Can you find meaning in this life apart from God? At the end of your time on earth, what will you have gained with all the effort and work that you have done? The teacher in Ecclesiastes says that apart from God, everything is meaningless and a chasing after the wind. So now we've made it to chapter 5, and we're going to begin to look at ethics. And ethics are moral principles that will govern a person's behavior. In particular today, we are looking at the attitude that we should have when we come to the house of the Lord, when we show up to church together. So this is going to be very helpful instruction for us. Um, but certainly not what you might expect from a message about worshiping God. However, we are talking today about teach us to worship from this text, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7. So the building that we are in today is really very, very humble in contrast to the amazing temple that was at the center of Jerusalem. I can't give you all the details for it, but it is absolutely spectacular, the sort of craftsmanship and quality of material that went into this temple. People traveled from all over just to see this amazing house of God that King Solomon built. I'll give you a few details though. The interior of this temple is a cedar paneling with all sorts of ornate woodwork covered entirely in gold. Could you imagine being inside of that of that room? Gold all over, just beauty, just majestic. The temple is the place where you would go to offer a sacrifice to God. It was a huge deal to go there. It was a very impressive building. There was a special part of the temple that's called the Holy of Holies. It was off limits to everybody except for once a year, the high priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies. And in, in the Holy of Holies, there was two cherubim with their wings stretched out, and it was said that God was enthroned on the wings of the cherubim, truly the house of God, a very, very holy place. What sort of an attitude would you have if you had the opportunity to go to this temple? What sort of things might be going through your head as you approached it, as you saw it off in the distance, went up the steps, and went into the temple. I'm assuming you probably have a sense of reverence for God. Look at, look at these amazing things. You might have an excitement. It's a big deal to be there. Maybe there'd be a sense of awe that you would have, perhaps some joy. Maybe just a real sort of sense of fulfillment that this God that you serve has such a beautiful place where you can come and worship him. Well, let's contrast that with today. What goes on in our hearts on the way to church. What sort of an attitude do we bring with us when we come to the house of the Lord? You could even consider whatever you went through this morning on the way here. I'm not sure what activities you you did on the way to church. If you've got small people in your household, maybe you spent some time getting them ready. I used to have a small person in my household who was just beautiful, and she just had this knack for finding mud puddles on the way out the door. So we always had that going through her mind on the way to church. 
Um, maybe on the way to church today, you grabbed a coffee. Maybe that was part of your routine. Um, all sorts of things can go down in the car on the way to church. Who knows that's true, right? There's all sorts of conversations that could happen. Overall, I think that our culture has really adopted a very, very casual approach to going to church. And what we're going to see in Ecclesiastes 5 today is the sort of reverent attitude that we should have if we want to go to the church. It seems that there's begun to be this sense of numbness to worship. It's Worshiping God together really is a spectacular, awesome experience. It's a privilege to be a part of that, to join voices with this church choir that we are a part of on Sunday mornings. But sometimes we don't have that excited, reverent attitude towards it. Sometimes we don't even realize the words that we're singing. They kind of just flow through us without connecting to our hearts. It should be a big deal to be in God's presence with God's people singing his praises, expecting to hear him speak right into our lives on a weekly basis. He's given us this amazing privilege to come together as the church on, on the Lord's Day. So let's go through Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 to 7. We'll take it one verse at a time, more or less, and see what the teacher from Ecclesiastes and what God the Holy Spirit would uh, want to say to our hearts this morning. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to draw near in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. God uses the imagery of feet and pathways in the Bible to talk about something more important than just your two feet. The, the feet are used as a way to think about human conduct, uh, the choices we make, the behaviors we engage in. Let me give you some examples from Scripture. Proverbs 1, 15 to 16. My son, don't travel that road with them or set foot on their path because their feet run towards trouble and they hurry to commit murder. Isaiah 59, 7. Their feet run after evil. They rush to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are sinful thoughts. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And maybe a uh, happier example, this one from Job 23.11, as he's defending himself to his friends. Job says, My feet have followed in his tracks. I have kept to his way and not turned aside. So we're told in Ecclesiastes, we must guard our steps on the way to God's house, guard our conduct. Uh, just because you go to church doesn't make you a good person. It doesn't work just like that. We actually need to guide our steps the whole week long, don't we? At other places in the Bible, we see that God will help us to guide our steps. We're not on our own in this. For example, you'll read in, in Psalm 23 that he leads us on the right paths for his name's sake. But here in Ecclesiastes, the teacher gives you and me some responsibility. He says, guard your steps. So we have this mat in our house. You'll see it when you come in the front door. There's a mat there. And especially in the wet seasons of life, we make sure that mat is there. It is my wife's sincere hope that our wet shoes will not make it past that mat and onto the inside floor. She does not want the mess. And then to make things even more exciting, it turns out that kids like to aim for puddles. 
Just imagine with me a couple weeks from now when instead of snow falling, it'll be rain falling, waiting for that glorious day when the snow's over and we have puddles to jump in instead of banks of snow to shovel. But have you ever noticed that with puddles, how inviting they are for kids to jump in and then come into the house like that? I think there might even be an inner kid in all of us that sees the puddle and says, that looks like fun. My kids like to listen to the voice that says jump, and they love just going through puddles. Like, I pick them up on the way home from school, there's a sidewalk, and then there's a gutter full of slush. And where can you try out your nice boots, except for the sidewalk or the gutter full of slush? Just me? Okay. Anyways, what messes are we jumping into midweek and then tracking into church just casually, not even thinking about it? Are we careless in our actions Monday through Saturday and then just show up casually on a Sunday morning as if none of that has any sort of effect or impact on our church? Don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not telling you to stay away if you've sinned. Um, we all sin. We all mess up. And church is a place that welcomes sinners. Come, find the loving forgiveness of a God who loves you, loves me at our very worst, and can make us whole because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's the good news of the gospel. But part of that good news is that we can repent of our sins, turn away from wrong behavior, and so we're told to guard our steps. This will cause us to be able to worship God in a more reverent and awesome way on a Sunday morning. Exercise caution in the way that you live, for we're living for God all week long. Let's read the second part of Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. It's better to draw near in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Uh, We could say it differently. We might say it like this. Approach God with quiet attention rather than with a loud show of religion. Will we come to church on a Sunday morning with, with a quiet attention? prepared to listen, hoping that God might speak to us? Or will we make the sacrifice as fools do? Have you ever asked yourself, what makes a sacrifice foolish? I was thinking about that this week. What would make a sacrifice foolish? It would be bringing a sacrifice that God doesn't want. By definition, a sacrifice is something that costs your time, your talent, costs your treasure, costs involvement with your life. In the Old Testament, A treasure would cost you, or a sacrifice would cost you, the best animal in your flock. You'd have to give God your very best. That would be the sacrifice that you'd bring. And what if you went to all that effort and expense in vain, and you sacrificed the best animal all for nothing? That would be a foolish thing to do, wouldn't it? Let's see what was going on in Amos, the kind of sacrifice God was rejecting and then asking for. Verses uh, 22 and and through 24 from chapter 5. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fattened cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Yes, it's good to bring God our treasure, our time, our talent, and to give it to him and say, God, use this for your glory. But not if it's in the place of justice. Not if we're doing it in such a way where it hurts other people. Uh, What what good is a sacrifice from a person who's ignoring righteousness? 
God wants justice and righteousness to be the way that we live our lives. You know, kids like to buy their parents birthday presents, right? Kids, I hope so. Um, parents like to receive presents on their birthdays. But know what we always say to our kids? They say, what do you want for your birthday this year? And we say, we just want obedience. Like, a day when everybody gets along, that is a great birthday. I, I think that's a, a fair illustration of this point. Yeah, it's wonderful to bring our God, our Heavenly Father, gifts. That's, that's a good thing to do. But they are so much better when they are accompanied with unity, with righteousness, with justice. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 says, Do not be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. So the problem here is not that we want to come and talk to God. It's good to want to come and pray to God. It's good to want to come and praise God with song. The problem would be instead being impulsive or careless with our words. Words that pass through our mouths without affecting our hearts. Words where we speak and we're not even really aware of what we're saying. Those are the kind of careless words that we don't want to, to bring with us. I like to watch some uh, TV reality shows, especially the ones where there's singers and there's judges and the singers need to sort of go through some sort of a thing to win the show, right? And some of these singers, they sing their song and they sound good, but then the judge says to them, do you know what? You need to really connect with that lyric. I don't believe you when you're singing. Don't those words that you're singing mean anything to you? They want to see an authenticity come from these performers. We should be authentic in our prayers authentic in the songs that we're singing to God. Uh, We don't want to rush into a prayer saying words on impulse that we aren't connecting with. Maybe you're like me in this area. Do you ever find that when you're praying, there's just things that you say without ever really thinking about it? They just kind of come out, and you're like, oh, I always say that. What about just slowing down a little bit and considering the words that we're going to say to God? Consider who we're praying to. The teacher reminds us, for you are on earth and God is in heaven. What he wants us to see here is there is a world of difference between me and God, a world of difference between you and God. God is God. We are not. God is the creator. We are the created. God is overall, and we are here to serve him. There's a world of difference. And it's amazing that we can come to God in prayer considering that difference. But Jesus has made a way for us to be able to do that. It might be helpful to picture yourself coming toward the very throne of God when you come to pray or when you come to to join in, in singing songs. You know, the Bible actually gives us a few pictures of what the throne of God is like up in heaven. There's, there's a host of, of people singing praises to God. There's, there's um, different creatures that are singing holy, holy, holy. God is there. It's this beautiful thing. Uh, Jesus is at the Father's right hand. Could you imagine yourself in that throne room and talking to God? How would that affect the words that come out of your mouth? How would that affect if you were thinking about the words that you were saying? Maybe that would be a helpful exercise for us to go to as as we go to God in prayer, Uh, whether we're praying for ourselves or praying for somebody else. Remember, there's a big difference between me and God, and I want to remember who God is when I am talking to him. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Uh, Mean what you say 
Take your time. Pray in Jesus' name. And what we mean by praying in Jesus' name is pray for the things that Jesus would pray for. Um, pray for the things that you know are his will. And the Bible helps us to, to see what those things are. Let the Holy Spirit help you as you pray. It's, it's not a rush. It's God who is your primary audience. So give him your whole attention before, when, when you come before him in prayer and in song. That's a sort of perspective that we're instructed to have when we come to the house of God. Okay, Ecclesiastes 5.3 is a proverb, one that is a little bit confusing, so we're going to go a little bit slow through this section because it's a very, um, there's a lot of ways to look at this one. So here's what the, the verse says in number 5, verse 3. For dreams result from much work, and a fool's voice from many words. So we're going to have to first unpack what the word dreams mean. Because when you think of a dream, like dream in our culture is a beautiful thing, right? Dream your dream. Have your goals. Uh, there's a big focus on the American dream. Maybe not so much for us, but we've heard of the American dream. Uh, of being able to do these wonderful things with your life. That is not what the teacher is teaching us in Ecclesiastes. Dreams are actually like an unreal thing. Uh, uh, chasing of the wind. Uh, if you remember the Hebrew word hebel, which is for breath, like whew, you grab it, it's gone. That's what, that's what dreams are like, this, this unreal thing. I'll give you a quote from C.L. Ciel. He, he wrote a commentary that I read, and I'm going to give you a quote from it. He says, in the literature of the ancient Near East, a dream is often a figure for anything that is an illusion and not reality, something that is unreal. So what we read in that proverb is dreams, something unreal, results from much work. Okay, well, what's going on here? Let's keep in mind that this is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, which follows, or Ecclesiastes chapter 5, which follows the first four chapters of Ecclesiastes, right? What was going on in the first four chapters? Well, the teacher is talking about the empty dreams that came from all of his work. Pleasure, experiences, accomplishments, wealth. It all ended up being a vanity for him because he'd worked so hard for these things, but he found that at the end of it all, it, it wasn't worth much because he, he didn't have God in the picture. It was also vexing to him because they didn't deliver meaning in the way that he'd hoped so much for. And we're helped out here because in the proverb, there's a comparison that's also made to a fool's voice that results in many empty words. For dreams result from much work and a fool's voice from many words. You know, it's the fool who keeps on speaking when they should be listening. Uh, you can detect a fool by all of the empty words that are coming out. So let's relate this back now to uh, verses 1 and 2. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to draw near in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak. Do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Well, no one came to church today to be a fool. That's not what we want to do. We want to guide our steps to offer our very best to God as a pleasing sacrifice. Limit our speech so that we can hear God speaking to us. Have you ever been in a conversation and you talked so much that you didn't learn anything? It was just all what you were saying? Or have you ever done the opposite? You wanted to say something to somebody, but you never actually got out what you needed to say because they just kept on talking and talking and talking. 
what if God wants to talk to us this morning? But we've got so many competing thoughts in our mind and stuff going on and notifications happening. And we're talking so much that we don't give a chance for us to hear what God might, might want to be saying to us. Sometimes we need to stop back and listen and say, God, what do you want to say to us this morning? What do you want to say? And then listen. I don't want to be proven a fool by speaking impulsively and carelessly and missing the voice of God. Uh, sometimes we'll approach a problem and maybe it's something that we ought to be praying for. But instead, our response seems to be to talk and to talk and talk about the problem endlessly and we miss the chance to pray and hear what God might want what God might be wanting to say to us. Here's a, here's a, pray that, a prayer that we might pray. God, teach, teach me to worship so that everything I do and say would be for God's glory, so that what I do would count for eternity. God, help us so that we don't chase after meaningless pursuits that count for nothing, for we want our lives to be a pleasing offering to God. And we're encouraged towards this goal in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So the sacrifice of fools is doing everything you can to appear religious, putting all the work in so that people around you see how good and holy you are, but you miss out what God wants to do. The, the sacrifice of fools is doing all these sorts of things and never actually really pleasing God and giving him what he wants. So we don't want to come to church as a show of religion, as a thing that would sort of satisfy other people's expectations. We want to come to church saying, God, we're here because we love you. We, we're here because you're holy and righteous, and we want for you to speak to us and take our lives and use it for your glory. Our time at church is heightened when we live our lives in reverence of God and come together as a community of people united for his glory. And I know that if we will slow down, avoid excessive and impulsive words, guide our steps, and just stand in awe of God, we will find that, yes, God is here. And God is willing and he is able to speak to our church, to speak to our lives. And we need God's voice in our life. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 6. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you. And do not say in the presence of the messenger, and when you read the word messenger there, think of the priest who would be taking the, the sacrifice. Do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands. So we're talking in this section, verse 6, about vows, promises that you make to God. A vow is more like a conditional promise you make to God. God, if you will save me from this, then I will respond with this sort of action. A good cross-reference is Deuteronomy 23, 23. Be careful to do whatever comes from your lips, because you have freely vowed what you promised to the Lord your God. So the principal ethic that we're being shown is we need to fulfill our vows to God without any sort of delay. Fulfilling vows becomes a moral obligation to be people who can keep their word, keep our word to God and keep our word to others. 
Leaving vows unfulfilled is a hindrance to worship. It's a hindrance to prayer. So there was a common practice in those days of people having a certain buyer's remorse when they made a vow. They would go before the priest and make some sort of big, beautiful promise to God. They would feel great in the moment. They'd start walking home and be like, what have I done? I can't do that thing. And then so they'd want to go back. They had the buyer's remorse back to the priest, and they'd offer some little sacrifice and say, can we just take that one back? That's a foolish thing to do. We see that in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 6. Don't say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. You show God proper reverence when you keep the promises that you have made. Now, many of us have made promises to God, and it's important that we're keeping those promises. Here's an example of some of the promises you've made. If you're married, you likely stood before God and said, here's the certain things that I'm going to do as someone who is married to this person. Maybe it's a good idea to go back to the marriage vows and say, what did I promise in front of God that I would do and see if you're keeping those vows? Another example is when we have um, child dedications at our church. What will happen is there will be parents at the front with some cute little baby, some cute kid, and they'll say, we're going to vow in front of God that we're going to raise this kid according to what the Bible says, according to the principles in the Bible. And then the church actually usually stands up, the church family, and says, yes, and we're going to help those parents and pray for this child as well. That's a vow that we've made. We've got to keep that vow. Another vow that that gets made, at least in this context, is we have a membership covenant. And we try to renew that covenant um, annually where we'll stand up and say those words again together. Are these empty words or are they full of meaning? It is our duty, our job, to go ahead and live out these vows, these promises that we have made. It's an important thing to do. For God does not delight in broken promises. So keep your vows before God without delay. Don't let anything get in the way of that. And of course, that means you should take your time before making a promise to God. Consider the cost. These are voluntary things. You don't have to do it. And it'd be better for you not to vow at all rather than to make a vow and leave it unfulfilled. Verse 7 says, For many dreams bring futility, and so do many words. Therefore, fear God. It's like a summary for these verses that we've been reading. Don't let your words lead you to sin. Be authentic in your speech, for the fear of God is the beginning of reverent worship. We're going to conclude this sermon with a quote from Preaching Christ from Ecclesiastes, Foundations for Expository Sermons. It just said it so well in here that I thought it would be a super blessing to our church just to read it this way. So I'll read it out for you, and then we will um, have the conclusion of the sermon. Reverence for God will cause us to guard our steps when we go to the house of God. Reverence for God will cause us to draw near to listen rather than to blabber like fools. Reverence for God will cause us not to be rash with our mouth. Reverence for God will cause us not to delay fulfilling any promises we have made to God. Reverence for God will cause us not to come up with lame excuses for not fulfilling our promises. In short, reverence for God will make our worship truly awesome. I want to call up the worship team. We get to finish our service off this morning. 
singing to God, some, a praise song together. And of course, we've just had a sermon on reverence for God, on meaning what we say, so we get a chance to live that out through this song. You know, this is a church that loves to pray for people as well. And when the song's over, there'll be a benediction and a time to pray. So we're going to make this sanctuary here just a place of prayer. If you want to visit with people, fantastic. We don't want for anyone to be lonely at our church. There's tables out in the foyer. Get to know somebody. Don't go home if you don't know anybody yet, but let's, let's become better acquainted. But in here, we want to pray for you. Um, if, if there's something that I can pray with you for, just come up to the front row here. I'd love to pray with you. And there's other people on our prayer team who could pray with you as well. But now it's time to uh, sing this song together to God. Mm-hmm.